Hey everyone, welcome to the Curious Girl Diaries podcast. I'm Layla London, aka The Curious Girl. Now, just to let you know, this podcast is not suitable for work. It's also not suitable for anybody under 18. But the rest of you consenting adults, let's get ready to talk about my sex life, sex in general, and everything in between in explicit, raunchy, fun detail. All right, here we go. want to experience all of this and I don't want to put it on the one person's shoulders because I don't think that's really going to be possible. And so I, but then along the way, I've had primary partners that knew that I would see somebody else. And I've always been very open about that. And the more confident you are sexually, the more attractive you are. Owning yourself in that way is really attractive to people. Monogamy hangover. I love that term. I'm going to steal that and use that. I will give you credit. You've got to put a registered trademark sign after it because a friend of mine and I trademarked it. I have this big fantasy in my mind and I have no bones about telling. I really want the male, female, male because I want all that attention on me. But I want what I want. And I have this, okay, I'm the star of the show. We're going to do DVP, DP. I know what I want. Welcome to the Curious Girl Diaries podcast. I am Layla. It's another great Saturday, and you know what that means. I've got a fabulous guest on today. Today's guest is Dr. Lori Beth Bisbee, and she's a psychologist, an accredited advanced GSRD therapist, sex and intimacy coach. She spent over 30 years helping people to create and maintain incredible relationships with sizzling hot sex without shame. She also helps those who have experienced trauma, resolve the trauma, and thrive. She is the host of the A to Z Sex Podcast and the resident specialist therapist starring on Open House, The Sex, The Great Sex Experiment. Dr. Bisbee is an author of seven books and regularly contributes to all types of media. Wow, seven books. Welcome, Dr. Bisbee. Thank you. It's great to be here. I am so glad to have you. Listen, when I was doing my research on you, I mean, there's just, there's a lot because you have the show and you have your podcast and then your website and all your social media. And I was just like, well, oh my God, I was going in so many different directions. So I'm going to try to kind of nibble around the edges of everything that is Dr. Bisbee. And I just, but first I would love to start with, can you give us a little bit about your background and just kind of how your life went and led you up to becoming a psychologist? So I was going to university for broadcast journalism. That's what I was studying. And in my sophomore year, I was introduced to someone who turned out to be a monster. And I've written about it in detail, but I ended up being prisoner for five days and really badly abused during that time. He did go to jail. I mean, it was it was really horrific. Big, big trauma. At which point after that, doing journalism didn't make much sense at the time. And so I decided that I would study psychology because really, like many people who go into the field, I was looking for a solution to the post-traumatic stress disorder I had, (laughs) right? Most, so many people who go into the field are looking for a solution for themselves or family members or people they were close to that have had some form of psychological either illness or trauma, and they're just wanting to figure it out. So that's how I ended up doing psychology. And it's also how I ended up doing trauma, 
um, as one of my specialties because I wanted to figure it out. And sex and intimacy because I was aware that I was different from my peers from a very young age, that my sexual interests were different and that the things that attracted me were different. And so I really wanted to be able to be a safe place for people who maybe didn't see the world the same way as what was presented to us on Disney. My experience going to therapy was that when I talked about my attractions and things, therapists got uncomfortable. Really? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, you'd be surprised. Anything outside of these days, okay, keeping in mind that I trained in in the 80s, right? So there's a bit more understanding these days. And I think in training, people are exposed to more things. But certainly when I was training and when I was in therapy initially, anything outside of heteronormative sex and a little bit of gay sex was considered problematic. Homosexuality was no longer seen as a disorder, but certainly anything BDSM related was considered disordered or perverted. So it was very difficult to talk to a therapist without them trying to make that the problem. Right. Gotcha. And that's interesting. I mean, the 80s weren't that long ago. I would think maybe more like the 60s, but wow, that's kind of eye-opening. Well, what makes it worse is it's, it's true now. It's still true now. Still true now. There are so many therapists who are completely uneducated in any kind of sex or gender issue that is outside of first heteronormativity. So there's a group of therapists who know nothing else. And then some of LGB with a little bit of T, and that's about it. And so I end up doing things that are, I'm involved in helping educate therapists as well, so that people at least understand what it is the client's talking about and stop assuming pathology because their desires and their attractions are different than what you expect. Yeah, it's a big deal. Well, this, you may have answered, I think you kind of answered a little bit of this next question, but yeah, what exactly is a GSRD therapist and what drew you in that direction? I think you kind of so I've answered what drew me in that direction because I so I fit into the group. But a, a GSRD therapist is a gender, sex, and relationship diversity therapist. We primarily deal with LGBTQ, consensual non-monogamy of all forms, and kink, and BDSM, and fetish. Um, and that's the primary clientele. We work with people on these issues, but we also work with clientele on all sorts of other issues. But we have a specialty in working with these people as well as these issues. So it's both. And I mean, really, I went in that direction because that's who I am. And I had some negative therapy experiences as a client and some positive ones. Um, And I decided that I wanted to really make sure that I was a welcoming place for people who were concerned about anything to do with sex or relationships, regardless of what their interests were. Yeah, I'm glad. It seems like this area is evolving and there's more and more of you now out there. I always just like to throw my two cents in and tell my audience, anytime, any kind of health, I think just mental health, overall wellness, when you're dealing with a doctor and if they're not, if you're not liking the response, you're your own best advocate. I mean, advocate for yourself. Keep going until you find the right fit and the right person and the right doctor that will hear you out because they are out there. And it's so so important. 
Yeah, yeah. And I think a lot of times people get stuck. They go to someone and they may tell them something that isn't helpful, especially under the umbrella of psychology. And then that almost seems a little traumatizing in and of itself, that you weren't heard. You went to somebody that you thought was going to hear you and now you're not heard. That can be traumatizing. I would think so. Yeah. I mean, that's what you're there for. You're there for help. <laughs> Sorry, can't help. You know, you don't need it or nah, it's not that big of a deal, whatever they're giving you, giving back to you. Yeah. Or that it's not that, or, or, the, or even just like you said, I don't know, misdiagnosing it's the right word, but they're calling it something else. I think you said the pathology, right? Yeah. So one of the things that happens is that a person will go in and the therapist will take a history and a good therapist, by the way, will ask you about your sex life and your sexual interests. Not all therapists do this, right? But if you're taking a history, a good therapist should also ask about that part of your life, not avoid that part of your life. And they'll ask about it and a person will say, well, I'm non-monogamous or they'll say in in an authority transfer relationship, I'm into BDSM. And the therapist will then focus on that as the problem. And the person came in for problems with their mother or anxiety at work or... You know, and it's like, I don't have a problem with this. I'm really quite happy with this. And you should always question the person that you are hiring to help you and make sure that you feel comfortable with them. And, you know, most of us are pretty good at saying if something really isn't our bailiwick or it's not something we like working with, and we shouldn't take it personally, right? I mean, if somebody doesn't want to work with me, I don't take it personally. It's not a personal issue. It's just not a good fit. But I think sometimes the reason people get stuck is because the doctor, when you're seeing somebody with doctor in front of their name, that the altitude that that gives makes people feel like, well, of course, this person must know what's best for me automatically. Right. Yeah, for sure. For sure. I had a just one time was just I was coming off. I was getting off of birth control that I had been on for 10 years and it was a injection that made my period stop. And so for my whole 20s, I didn't have a period. Then I decided, ah, you know, as I got older and got a little just more health conscious, I thought, I don't know if that's really good. So I'm going to come off that. I'm going to stop taking it. And when I did, I had all of these, it was almost like depression. Like I just didn't feel like myself. So I went to my doctor and I said, I'm having all these symptoms. And she just straight looked at me and said, we don't have any evidence that it's because you're coming off this birth control, you know? And I'm like, huh? It's the only thing I've changed in my life. And then, of course, I did all this research and boom, there it is. All these women saying, I feel like shit. You know, I feel weird. Good news. Strictly Anonymous podcast is looking for people to call into the show. So if you lead an interesting, naughty secret life that you want to talk about while remaining anonymous or not anonymous, if you're out and proud, that's cool, too. Send me an email, strictly anonymous podcast at gmail.com. That's strictly anonymous podcast at gmail.com. Or go to my website, strictly anonymous podcast.com and click on be on the show. Common sense would tell you that when you mess with your hormones, there's going to be a reaction. I mean, that's just common sense. That I know. You can go look up the science and I know it's there because I've helped people in that situation. But if you've been messing with your hormones for 10 years, and that's the status quo, and you change the status quo, you're going to have a reaction, period. Yes, and it did. It just took a while for the, it to level out. It did. But I was like, I mean, I, thank goodness I, I, I have enough common sense to go, no, sorry, I'm not accepting that answer, and I'm going to keep going until I find someone that actually recognizes that there can be side effects when you come off a big old hormone. You know? <laughs> like, so... Uh, Sometimes I don't get it because medical doctors, sometimes I just don't get it. 
when around women's health, this is one of that ends up being one of my soapboxes because the number of things that women get told that are so counterintuitive and the number of doctors who just won't listen to this is my experience right now. My body is doing this. Yeah. And instead of saying, okay, tell me more about that and and asking more detailed questions and perhaps referring to a specialist, right? It's, oh, don't be ridiculous. Don't be silly. It's no big deal. You're imagining it. Yeah, exactly. That's what I was, I feel like I was being gaslit. I'm like, no, uh uh-uh, I'm telling you, uh, this is what I'm feeling. And I know this is not normal for me. This is just not a normal way to feel. So something's off and it's been going for a while. And and if you won't help me, I'll find someone that will. (laughs) That's kind of basically what I said. So I'm like, refer me, get me someone else. You just, the moral of that story that I hope everybody takes away from that is just, you got to advocate for yourself and keep going until you find the right person. You are the resident doctor on the show, Open House, The Great Sex Experiment. What I've watched some of it, but I don't know if everybody in my that listens knows what that is. What is that all about? So this is a Channel Four in the UK special show. Sorry, not special. I think it's special. We did season one this year, starting in April. It was six episodes, and we are coming back for season two next year. And for the show, we took couples that were up to that point monogamous who wanted to open up their relationships. They come to this retreat, which is like a cut down version of a real retreat that I do. And we have available people there who are willing to join them in all sorts of fun and games. They come and they see me and we have a session and we talk about what it is that they want to do. And we go over the parameters. We look at any emotional issues that might be come up. We look at any history that might be problematic, set a few kind of agreements up, make a game plan. And then they go and they get involved in the social activities and they get to try things. So a couple of the couples had threesomes while they were there. Some people went on separate dates and then they come back and see me after each night to recap whatever's been going on. So, you know, there was some emotional upheaval and we worked on that. And then the next day they went out and did some more stuff. So they're all there for a few days, a number of days, and they have the opportunity to spend a bunch of time with me and, and a bunch of time exploring. And the idea is to give them a kind of jumpstart to doing this in the world because it's a safe environment where they do have access to support that they wouldn't otherwise have, where the people that they are spending their time with have already been vetted. So you have more of the issues that you might have in the world so that if they do want to continue this in their daily life, they've got the beginnings of a good toolkit to be able to go and do that. And it was just so much fun to do. Yeah, I've watched some of it and it's really interesting. I love how they have the experience or they're going to have the experience and then they're talking to you about it. And just, I was surprised, but not surprised at some of the things that come up and what they say after six years of me making my sex life a priority and making a new buck sex bucket list and knocking things off and trying things and just completely going crazy with it. A lot of it didn't surprise me, but it's fun to hear. And I love your advice. One of the things, and so I was like, okay, when she comes on, I'm going to ask her this because one of the things that I have, believe it or not, after like getting into BDSM, getting super kinky, loving that, just discovering so much about myself. It's amazing. Like the journey has been amazing. But the one thing, my Mount Kilimanjaro is I have yet to have a threesome, either a male, female, male, or female, female, male. It's my stumbling block. I want to do it, but I can't make it happen. So let me say this, and I've been saying this for a while. Actually, three is a really crappy number. 
just going to say that, right? Yes. Because it's so easy for somebody to feel left out in three, in a threesome or to feel awkward in a threesome. Even numbers just are much easier to manage. Okay. Good to know. Sometimes I say to people, just see if you can get a foursome together or more. But even numbers are just easier to manage, especially if there's any potential for jealousy or concerns of comparing yourself to someone else. If you've got a fourth person, it just becomes easier. It just gets spread around more. And there just seems to be less angst. Yeah, that's interesting. That makes a lot of sense. It really does. It's always something like I'll nitpick. Oh, he's hot, but she's not. Or okay, there's two guys and I want to make sure, like I have this big fantasy in my mind and I have no bones about telling, I really want the male, female, male because I want all that attention on me. But I want what I want. And I have this, okay, I'm the star of the show. We're going to do DVP, DP, you know, and I, <laughs> I know what I want. And so nobody can be worried about swords crossing. I don't need any of that. It's not that one guy's just sticking down at one end and one guy's down at the other. I mean, you guys got to be, you don't have to be bisexual, but you got to be hetero flexible at least. <laughs> and then the guys are always like, yeah, 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 let's do it. And then somebody will be like, Oh, no, like did they get cold feet or they don't know or I don't want to share you or well, I'm like, wait a minute. We've been talking about this the whole time. Uh, it, there's so much competition. It depends on if you're doing it in a relationship or not. Right. Yeah. If you're doing this in a relationship. There's a whole bunch of emotional stuff that we're taught for years and years and years that gets in the way of actually doing that and feeling comfortable. And you really have to do a little bit of your own work in order to get past that. You know, it's this idea that he shouldn't or she shouldn't want anybody other than me. I should be enough. Because they want to bring someone in, it means I'm I'm not satisfying this person. I'm not, you know, so it's all this stuff that comes from what we've been programmed to believe. And if you don't do that deprogramming before, you just get all excited, but you don't actually do any work on it. You don't actually sit down and think it through. Then you end up with people pulling out at the last minute or just being there and having it go a little bit skew with because they start getting self-conscious in the middle of it or jealous in the middle of it and they don't know what to do. So they withdraw and it gets really messy. And I think there's a different flavor to two women and a man and two men and a woman when it's two men who are are heterosexual or heteroflexible when nobody's bisexual, right? I think there's a different flavor to that. And the challenges are all about comparison. Oh. Probably why they back out. And they may not even be consciously aware of it, but guys compete with each other. Women do too, but they do it differently. You're making, I've got some light bulbs going off right now because I'm like, I think that's what was going on because it was just like, you get that phone call and because it's, we're getting close to things happening. It's like, okay, well there's now there's a few more things that maybe they might not be comfortable with and they want to talk about. And they're like the, my sort of regular partner. It's like, uh, I'm feeling something's coming up. I'm feeling a certain way, you know? And I'm like, okay. I mean, of course, like, yeah, let's talk about it. Absolutely. I'm glad you're bringing it up, but it is interesting how they wouldn't pick, I noticed like there's no picking anybody that's got a dick bigger than yours. <laughs> and, like, and like the thing is like, how are you going to know that till you see the dick? Seriously, until you see the, excuse me, but until you see the dick in action, because you can't tell flaccid. And they might not get it up. I mean, you know, they may have performance anxiety. There's all kinds of things that can. I mean, it, to me, it's like, I, I always find those sorts of things really amusing privately in my head, just because like, 
that's the worst thing that you can think of is the is somebody else is going to have a bigger dick than yours. But it does highlight what I call monogamy hangover, which is that mindset that we are enculturated into that it's really hard to get out of because the person who's worried about the other guy's dick being bigger is worried that you are going to prefer that guy to him and therefore they're not going to be your regular partner anymore because you're going to go and want to be with the guy with the bigger dick, right? And this isn't about that. Non-monogamy about both and. Monogamy is either or. Non-monogamy is both and. It's like you can have both people. There's nothing to say that you can't, but that's what they're worried about. They're part of it. It's like, oh, you're going to run off. Or oh, what's the other guy going to think of me? Which I always find interesting. It's like, if you don't like, like guys, why do you care? What? Yeah, right. Exactly. How does that come into it? But that is definitely a thing. Monogamy hangover. I love that term. I'm going to steal that and use that. I will give you credit. You've got to put a registered trademark sign after it because we asked a friend of mine and I trademarked it. Did you? I was going to say, I will give you credit. Oh, you're kidding. Okay. All right. I will. I'm going to put that. I'm going to, when I use that, I will put that. That is, I love that. That's a fantastic, fantastic term. It's such, for me, it was like, because you do, even when you're, you've been non-monogamous for a while, the stuff that hangs around is really surprising. And it'll come up at the weirdest times. And suddenly it'll be, it'll be like, you're acting as though... You can only have the one thing and that's it. And this person's going to choose somebody else. And it's just like, well, where did that come from? Or people start acting like they're on the relationship escalator again, right? So they're like, well, if I fall in love with this person, then what does that mean? Because I'm also in love with this person and I can only live with, you know, and it becomes, yeah, it becomes all this complication. It's like, why don't you just see what it means as you do it? Why don't you work on it and discuss it? Because you really can't have any relationship shape you want. Yes, absolutely. I love that. I I feel like we're only limited as far as our sexuality goes. We're just, we're really the biggest limitator. It's just our own imaginations on how far and how fun can really make this and take this. And there's just so many options. And it always surprises me that people want to just stick it in that traditional box. It's this. It's not. It's everything else around. I mean, that and everything else around that too. It's just, it's really expansive. I think part of what it is, I agree with you, like you're really only limited by your imagination, but I think part of why people put things in those little boxes is because the amount of choice is overwhelming. Yeah. And people get very afraid of making a wrong choice. Like the world will end if you make a wrong choice. We make wrong choices every single day. (laughs) Yes. And most of the time we barely even notice. It's like, oh, shit. Okay, that wasn't the best idea. I won't do it that way again. And you just move on. But when it comes to relationships and sex, people are panicked. They're going to make a wrong choice. Yes. And you will make a wrong choice, but that's all right. You'll handle it. Yeah. No big deal. Yeah. Yeah. It'll be experience and you'll move on. You know, it doesn't have to be devastating. There are things that are very traumatic and we do make wrong choices sometimes that are very traumatic. But even those, those can be resolved and you can move on into your life with that being in your past rather than carrying it with you in your present and on into your future. Sometimes you need some professional help to do that. Sometimes you can do it yourself. Not choosing means that you let other people choose for you because there's no such thing as no choice because we're not static beings. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And our sex lives, sexuality isn't static either. It's, I mean, I'm not the same person sexually that I was in my twenties versus thirties. And it's this constant evolution of 
of yourself. You know, nothing's like you said, I mean, just nothing's staying the same. It's always evolving. Yeah, I mean, what's interesting is for some people, sexuality will evolve wildly, right? And for others, it'll be just a progression along a theme. So I'm not the same person in my 50s as I was in my 20s, but my attractions are the same. Like I've had a constant theme throughout my life. Now, some people don't have that, right? And, and one of the mistakes is people thinking that everybody has that, that you don't move along spectrums at all, that you're kind of rooted in a spot. Most of us aren't, but I actually have a consistent theme throughout which I've always found interesting compared to other people that I know who have like gone, they're into this, they're into that, they're over here, they're over there. This type of person attracts them, that type of person attracts them. Yeah, I've been been pretty steady throughout. But the way my comfort level with who I am sexually, my confidence sexually, that's evolved like mad. So that's what makes me a different person in my 50s than I was in my 20s. Yes, yeah. Do you feel your sex life personally has just gotten better? Yes, Absolutely. And a part of the reason for that is because I like non-ordinary things, I had to work. First, I had to uh, first I had to admit that I like non-ordinary things. And my first foray into doing that as a 19 year old was how I ended up in the situation I ended up in. So then I kind of backed away because he would. And so I had to work through the shame that I had around it in the first place and then feeling like I might have been responsible for the things that happened to me. And so all of that before I could really embrace it. And so because I've had to do so much work on it, the more integrated that I've gotten over the years, the better my sex life has gotten. So I'm now in a place where I'm just really comfortable with who I am and I write about it and I write erotica and I don't care, right? It's published, I don't care. Even 20 years ago, while I was comfortable with me, I wouldn't have been comfortable necessarily talking about it in public. Yeah, and now it's out there. Now it's like, I I guess I kind of think, it is a little bit cliche, but I think I hit 50 and um, I'm 59 now and I hit 50 and I said to myself, I'm not quite sure why I'm making myself do certain things that I didn't want to do in in the work realm and why I'm not doing some of the things I want to do and why I'm not public about things. So some of it was my age. It was like, I'm 50. I don't really care what people think of me anymore. Some of it was the age of my son, because once he got to an age where he was old enough, I felt okay about being public when he was younger, when he wasn't a teenager. I didn't feel okay about being public because I didn't want, not, I don't mean public with him. I just mean public. Right. Yeah. Public. I just didn't want him to be in a position where somebody might say something or something that would be confusing or upsetting. And I just didn't want to deal with that. But some of it was being 50. It's definitely I was like, yeah, I'm done. Uh, really? You, you think that's weird? OK, move along. Yeah. I got something even weirder. <laughs> Step aside. <laughs> and there's no shortage of partners either. I mean, and but that's about confidence. And that's one of the things that I end up talking about a lot which is that um, a lot of times people think attraction is down to looks and the pretty girl and the you know pretty guy, they're going to get them. And I'm like, it's got, you know, if you really look at it, if you have sexual confidence, if you are integrated and you have sexual confidence, it shines out of you. You don't look your age. People don't look at me and go, oh yeah, you look 59. Like nobody ever says that, right? Um, yeah, yeah. People don't see, they won't see, even the wrinkles that are there, they don't see that. Because what they're seeing is what's inside. That's what's happening. And the more confident you are sexually, the more attractive you are. Amen. Preach. Owning yourself in that way is really attractive to people. Forget gender, to people in general. And 
So if that's the only thing you're able to do is actually get to that place where you're really authentic and you're able to be confident, this is who I am, this is what I love, that solves the I don't know if I can ever find a partner problem. Right. Yeah. Now I feel like like sexual confidence, it just, I feel like as a woman, I feel like I exude it. It makes me feel beautiful. I feel like I light up because from the inside out, because that, because really, because I love and enjoy sex so much and I make it a priority. And I just, you feel a certain way as you move around in the world every day. It's fantastic. And I think it's the fountain of youth, to be honest with you. Oh, no, I, I know. I would totally agree. I mean, it certainly certainly makes a really big impact in just the way you're viewed, in the way you carry yourself, in the way you feel, in terms of energy. And actually, because you're carrying this inside you, it makes an impact if you go and do various things for work. It's not just about you have this confidence when you're having sex. It's about being in the world this way. And so you, you walk with that glow and that charisma through all these different environments and that you bring that power, that energy. And it is power. It's most definitely a power. And you bring that with you everywhere. Yeah, totally. Yeah. It's been amazing for me just these past six years, what prioritizing my sex life has taught me about myself just and the world, everything. You know, it's like, oh, what an underutilized vehicle to get me where I want to go. I mean, it's just, absolutely, it's fascinating. It's just fascinating. Do you, do you play with turning it on and turning it off? So yes. I play with turning it on and turning it off, right? Yes. And um, sometimes when I-, I used to do this. To, okay, I have to tell the story. Go for it. I used to do this. I discovered this. I was probably like, I don't know, 17, 18, 19. And we would do, we would, I would play this game with my girlfriends when we'd be out. Let's say we were in a bar. Yes, I did have a fake ID. My sister was older, so I'd steal her ID. We'd all go out. And I would say to my friends, my friends would say, okay, do that, do that thing. Because when I did it, we get free drink. And (laughs) so I'd be, I go, okay. So I would start on one end of the bar and I would walk through and I would turn it on and I would just walk through, boom, 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 eye contact, eye contact, like real fast and then boom, switch, real fast and then boom, switch. And just like like I was staring, burning a hole right through to the back of their heads. And every time I did it, the girls would walk behind me. They'd stay like three or four paces behind me and just watch these heads whipping. And I'm not patting myself on the back. It's just the energy. And then I could walk through it. But that's the important bit. It's the energy. And so that's what I want people listening to understand that the cool thing about this is no matter what you look like, like you need to understand that no matter what you look like, you can do this and it will still have an impact and a very big impact. When I teach classes, because I talk, I teach a class on energy play for people who are into kink and BDSM. And so it's using energy in, in the kind of kink, BDSM, and sexual play that you do. And I teach this as part of that. I will teach this as part of that. And I will turn it off and turn it back on. And people will be like, what just happened? It's like, yeah. <laughs> who, who is that person? Up? I don't recognize that person. And I just laugh because it's like, it really is. The more And the more you use it and the more comfortable you are, the easier it is to do that. So if I don't want to be noticed, okay, I'm a noticeable person. I mean, I've got the bright red hair and the, and I'm not a small woman. And, you know, even, you know, no matter what my size, I'm noticeable. I know that I am. Yes, you are. And I'm more so now because I'm on television. So that's another thing, right? Yeah. But if I don't want to be noticed, 
I will turn everything down so low. And I can usually, not 100%, because I still have bright hair and so like visually unnoticeable, but I can usually be semi-invisible for a while and move through as a semi-invisible person. If I don't deliberately do... You're blowing my mind right now, Dr. Lori. I swear, because I do the same thing. I'm like, yes. Like I'm going, I just want to go shopping, right? I do not want to deal with anybody today. Right, I just yeah. want to go shopping. And if I really want to do it badly enough, I'll, I'll put a scarf on or a hood on or something so that I'm like masking the bright red hair. And then I just turn it all down and I'll just be invisible. If I don't pay attention to it though, it's naturally on for me rather than off. So I have to concentrate to turn it off. Other people have to concentrate to turn it on. And so so usually I'm usually noticeable. And since I've been on television, I'm noticeable in all sorts of places. But unlike actors where people want your autograph and they want a selfie, people want me to listen to whatever their situation is. So they approach me in places like they approach what I'm getting a manicure or something like that. And I'm like... I want to listen, but I'm like, you know, there's... But you also have to turn it off sometimes too. You're like, I'm a human being. I can't be on working all the time. Yeah. I made um, a business card now that's got a QR code that'll take the person to sign up for a chat with me because it was like, it just got to the point. It's just, it was a little bit more than I expected it to be. I don't know why. Channel 4 is pretty big and we had a very big audience. And like I said, I'm physically noticeable. Well, that's exciting. It's been fun. Yeah. So, okay. I want to jump back and kind of redirect into a different area here. I want to know from your point of view, what are some of the dangers that you see couple or what are some of the dangers you see with couples when they're not talking about sex with their partners? So this is unfortunately endemic, right? So huge um, problem. It's a huge fucking problem. It is. It's, it's fucking incredible to me that the number of times I ask people who are married, so, and they've been together for a length of time. This is what I'm talking and I about. Say, yeah. <laughs> what's it like? What's it like when you talk about sex? Because I want to understand how, how the conversation goes. Yeah. Right? Where the problem is, well, we've never talked about sex. I get that answer seven out of 10 times. And I say never, like you've never, no, we've never had a conversation about sex. We've sexted, we've flirted, we've, right? But we've never actually had a conversation that went, you know, I like these things <laughs> and I like these things and I have a fantasy about this or I don't like this, nothing. And, you know, the, dang, the biggest danger is that you end up not having sex with your partner because you're gone. You're in your head having your fantasies somewhere else. So there's no connection anymore. Or your sex life just kind of withers because unbeknownst to your partner, they're doing stuff that either doesn't satisfy you or triggers you, but you're not discussing it with them. Yeah, yeah. Um, so that's one big one is, the, is that people don't talk. And relationships end because of that. How do you think, I mean, I'm always dumbfounded by it by the stuff that I hear and the things, again, after this long in the podcast, like people listen, they write me questions and advice. They tell me their story and I'm just like, holy shit, how does this happen? How could you be married and not have ever gotten a blowjob from your partner? Or how could you be married and only have it three times a year? Like, what the fuck? Because, because we're, ta we're taught, look what we're taught. And they're still teaching it this way. I was taught this way. All those years ago, you know, I was born in the 60, or early 60s. So, right, if you think about it, I watch Disney. You all watch Disney. Yeah. The young ones now are watching Disney. What does Disney teach you about sex and relationships? It teaches you that by magic, the right one comes along and you connect and everything works by magic. Right. 
there's no follow-up. And they lived happily ever after. They lived happily ever after. They kiss, and it's perfect the first time. Like, how many bad kisses have you had? You know what I mean? It's like, it is tons necessarily. But that's how it is. And so... And there's no sex education, proper sex education to speak of. Sex education usually consists of when when it exists now, depending on what country you're in, you may not get any now. But what it is about is trying to get you to avoid sex, trying to get you to avoid pregnancy and avoid getting a disease. Nobody talks about pleasure. You get anatomy, but you don't get the pleasure parts of the anatomy. So it's to me, it's no wonder people don't know how. Heterosexual folks don't even have to talk in order to figure out if they're going to fit together. If you are kinky, then you probably do talk about sex because otherwise you don't get your needs met because you don't know if that person shares your kink. And so you will have a conversation. If you're queer, you probably also have a conversation sometimes. Certain times people don't. Anonymous sex is a different thing. We'll put that on the side. But in terms of relationships, people are more used to having conversations. But folks who are heteronormative, they take the box off the shelf that says Disney prince and princess. And then they (laughs) marry it. And they expect it to be like magic. And when it isn't, when it isn't, if they come to see me and I start asking them to do things and talk about things, they're like, but it won't be spontaneous. So it's not real. I'm like, oh my God, if you want good sex, you have to first know what you like. See, that's the problem is most of these folks don't even know what they want, let alone to talk to their partner. The number of people with female bodies who do not know how they work, who have never looked at themselves. I was on another podcast recently and I was saying that clitoris size, external clitoris size, because, and I didn't clarify this, I should have, because we know most of the clitoris is internal, but lots of women, G-spot stimulation is not going to cause orgasm, which is the internal parts of the clitoris, right? Most women need external clitoral stimulation for orgasm. So why is it that some women have no problem having an orgasm with intercourse and so many women find it difficult and then there's like, 28% of women who can't do it at all, right? Well, one of the reasons is anatomy and where your anatomy is placed. So if you have a really small clitoris and it's high up and it's really hooded, and if you have a little bit of, if you have a a fupa, right? So you've got a little bit of a weight, pons, and he's not exactly the right height and his dick isn't exactly the right size, you won't get enough friction. Therefore, you won't have an orgasm during intercourse without hands or toy. Yeah. And so I'm saying this on a podcast, whereas if you have a big clitoris, it's like really outside and you guys have the right anatomy matches, it might be really easy for you. And I'm saying this on a podcast and the the host was like, oh my God, I never thought of that before. What kind of podcast was it? But it was because we don't talk about this. We don't talk about maybe your anatomy doesn't fit and that's what the problem is because we still believe they all look the same. Yeah. And I'm like, we are as widely different as men are. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. You know, dick size is a thing. You know, we don't worry about it for us, but we're as widely different with clitoral size and our vulvas are differently shaped. And But it's basic stuff like that. If you don't know how to give yourself pleasure, how the hell are you going to talk to a partner about it? Yeah, you're not. Do you know what I do, Dr. Lori? I actually do, instead of, and a lot of people do it in May, I don't know why, but I do March Masturbation Madness Month. And mm-hmm. I have to masturbate every day that entire month, different ways. Sometimes it's old school, no toys, with toys, try different toys, different places, different positions, watching myself do it, watching porn. But I mix it up and it's really slow. I'll experiment with trying to make myself have 
have an orgasm in a way that maybe a man's touched me in the past where it was like I was almost there, but I couldn't do it because there wasn't enough pressure. And I just, you know, I focus on my breathing and I really sort of get in touch with all the feelings and all the sensations. And at the end of that 30 days, I do it once a year. And at the end of that 30 days, I really learn so much, even though I'm very sexual anyway, but it's always like I get to, I feel like I rewire my brain every time I do it. And I, because what I've noticed is even as adventurous as I am, I'll still sometimes get stuck in a little bit of a rut as far as that touching myself the same way, the repetitiveness of it and not being, I guess, again, like I said, I don't know if it's just training myself, rewiring it a little bit that I can, there's different ways that I can feel, feel and have that pleasure. pleasure. Well, you'll get more pleasure that way. There's an amazing sexologist in Singapore called Dr. Martha Tara Lee, who came on my podcast because my podcast started in 2016. We've been going through the Yeah, so you've been around just as long as I have. So, you know, but we go through, we've been going through the alphabet that long. And so one time I did M is for masturbation or more than once, but she came on and she said she has a a whole day masturbation date with herself. Yeah. And I, I loved the concept. Like it's a full day where the whole day is spent in sensual and sexual exploration of her. And I just thought that's such a wonderful idea because when we don't understand how to make ourselves come if we're orgasmic and we're not very good at if we or if we only have one way that we can reach orgasm on our own, but we do have orgasms with other partners, we are handing control of our pleasure over to somebody else because we have to, not because we choose to, because we don't know how we work. Never a good idea. No, so never. I love the idea that you rewire because you know, people, people think they're going to be young and healthy and perfect forever, right? Like, If you're used to using your right hand and something happens to your right hand, what happens to your orgasm? Yeah, they're, ooh, good one. Yeah, no, I know. Really simple, but true, right? You're used to lying on your back, but now you can't be comfortable lying on your back because you've got arthritis and you need to lie on your stomach. What happens to your orgasm? Yeah. When you hit menopause and insertables are problematic and there are remedies, but it doesn't always work 100%. So now you used to always enjoy G-spot stimulation or thrusting toys or hands, fingers, penises, whatever, but that's not working for you anymore. And you really haven't explored your external parts. What happens to your orgasm? Right. We got to protect it. <laughs> yeah. I mean, like, I, I don't know. I want to be the day before I'm in my grave still being able to have an orgasm. Me so, too. You know, Me I, too. I don't want to be in a position where something stops me because I can't figure out what to do. And it, it is so that is about learning your own pleasure and desire and being willing to devote yourself to you and prioritize, as you said, prioritizing your sexuality, which is something that most of us don't do. Nobody does it. You'll do it. You'll set goals for your uh, physical fitness, for your eating, for your finances, all this other stuff. And nobody ever says this year, I'm going to try 10 new sex positions or or, I'm going to go to a sex party and I'm here's my I'm going to make a sex bucket list and knock things off. (laughs) I, I have a class called Create Your Sexual Bucket List that I started doing. Oh, my God. About 15 years ago. And the first time I did it, people were like, really? And I was like, really? Yes. Really? Like, really? Why wouldn't you want to have a bucket list? 
And I remember one couple who were monogamous were like, well, I suppose you're going to tell us we need to have sex with other people. I'm like, no, your bucket list is your bucket list. It's your bucket list. Yeah. It's yours. You might decide you want to have go to foreign countries and see how many foreign countries you can have sex in. Or you might decide that you want to, you know, have sex on mountaintops or, you know, it's your list, whatever it is for you. The whole idea is to get you focusing on this stuff and figuring out, well, what is it that you actually want to experience? We have all sorts of peak experiences. Orgasms also can be peak experiences. Yeah. I have a sex bucket list tutorial too on my uh, website, just a little freebie that people can go through. And Because I really feel like it's the one tool. You know, people ask me, well, how did you like get so adventurous and do this. I'm like, really the one single thing I can say is it's the same as business goals. When you write something down, you focus on it, you'll achieve it. You know, you start working towards it. It's just the act of saying, where am I going to steer the ship? Where do I want to go with this? And then once you have stuff on there, it, it becomes exciting because now you got something to do or even with your partner, you share parts of it or like, oh, here's my list. What do you have? I think it really helps people. It sounds simple, but I feel like it's a really powerful tool if people that want to expand and just do something fun and grow with their sex life. It's a great way to do it. Smart goals too. You're like smart goals are all the rave. You know, smart goals about your sex life are also really good and for your relationship. So I think just talking about the communication, what are some tips that you give clients on how to sort of overcome that communication gap that's not so threatening, you know, just basic stuff? So things like starting with, particularly if you're wanting to talk to your partner about fantasies and you don't know how they're going to react, start by not talking to them. So and that sounds counterintuitive, but start by find some erotica that reflects your fantasies and share it with them and see what they say. Don't say, if you're adventurous, you could say, hey, I really like this. What do you think? But if you're not feeling that brave to say like somebody gave me this to read, I thought it was interesting, see what they think. And then start a conversation with that. Watch a movie together. There are lots of movies that aren't porn, but are very intensely sexual. I have a list of 103 of them, I think. Now we're up to 103 movies that are not X-rated, but are really hot. So, so you're not seeing cum shots and stuff, but you are seeing all sorts of interesting stuff and you can really get a feel. Watch something, a bunch of movies with your partner and see what they think of the movie. You talk about the movie instead of talking about what you want because that feels a bit threatening. Or write, write something for them. And you can write something somewhat erotic to open the conversation. And that mm. means step one, you open the conversation and then you sit down and talk about it. If you're still feeling shy, look the other way. Yeah. I, you know, one of the things I've given that as advice, all of those things, but one of the other things I really recommend, and you have a podcast and I have a podcast, I'll tell people, go through the podcast titles and say, you know, and then you can say to your partner, oh my gosh, I came across this podcast today. Let's listen to an episode. Sit down. You've already picked one that you kind of like, if it's a subject you want to bring up or whatever, it's like, have them, you know, sit down and then it's just a conversation starter. It'll get things going in a non-threatening way. Yeah. Rather than yeah. we need to talk. Right. Because no, anytime you hear that, you're like, oh shit, what's coming? And you automatically get tense. Like, what are they going to lay on me? So I noticed that you're working with couples that want to move into or open up their relationships into consensual non-monogamy. I want to know what are some of the general indicators that a couple might be a good fit for that? And then maybe some indicators that a couple might not be a good fit for that. So one of the really, the good indicators is if you're somebody who's always liked to share your toys, 
If you think back to being a kid, if you're somebody who's always liked to share your toys, if you're somebody who got gets joy out of sharing things with people that are precious to you or observing your partner doing something, you're getting joy out of your partner's joy, then you may be a good fit. If you are somebody who is self-assured, so confident in who you are, and as a couple, you're solid together. If you're interested in this, you'll be a better fit. The things that are negative indicators are things like extreme levels of jealousy. Some jealousy is not a not a write-off because most of us, jealousy is an emotion. So most of us feel jealousy at some point or another in our lives. But if you tend to be somebody who's very, very possessive and who doesn't like to share, it's probably not going to be a good fit. If you are somebody who has low self-esteem and you never feel as good as the people around you, definitely do something about that first. It's not a rule out, but go and do something about that first. If your relationship is on the rocks, just like having a baby doesn't save a relationship, opening up a relationship doesn't either. Why do so many people think that? Like, oh, we can't communicate for shit, but hey, let's bring other people into this. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I can't tell you how many times they do it. And then I they end up in my office after they've done it. And I'm like, what Uh-oh. were you thinking? Yeah. Now you got, now you got an even bigger mess <laughs> to fix. thinking? So it seems like, and maybe I just missed it before. Maybe it wasn't on my radar, but it seems to me like, Consensual non-monogamy is so in vogue right now and it's on the rise. Do you agree or has it always been there? Or, you know, I'm just wondering what the sudden surge is, what's driving it? So I think it's always, first, it's always been there. What's driving more people, people being newly interested now and what's driving all the talk is the way that we do media and social media really, right? So, so much of our media and social media just gets passed from one bit to the other to the other. And the internet is this big interconnected web. And so it's much easier to see it publicly now because once somebody starts talking, then somebody else starts talking. Like, it's like if you write, if you put your podcast up and it ends up on every social media and people pass it from one person to the next, to the next, to the next. If you contribute to an article in one newspaper, you know, every other newspaper then has an article on the same topic. You know, it just, it's that kind of conversation, I think, that has brought it more to the fore. So I'm not even sure there's more people doing it, really, because it's always been there. Really? Okay, then I just wasn't, it wasn't on my radar. I wasn't in the know, I guess. Well, because because the stigma is pretty big. I mean, it's there's still a stigma, right? But the stigma was, stigma was pretty, pretty intense. So there are lots of people who won't talk about it because it would cause them problems at work. It would cause problems in, in their neighborhoods, in the schools. I mean, so there have always been non-monogamous people around. There are more now, maybe. I'm not sure I'm convinced because people are always sal- telling me, you know, young people, more young people are non-monogamous. Yeah, there's another thing that, that, that I think people need to realize. Dating is not non-monogamy, right? Right. It's one partner at a time, but it's not, it might not be. People multi-date all the time. Well, I'm multi-dated. I've been doing it for six years. I mean. I mean, that's not necessarily non-monogamy, right? It could just be dating. It's, I mean, non-monogamy, depending on what kind of non-monogamy you're doing, usually has other characteristics that go with it. And when we were, when I was in my teens and 20s, when we dated multiple people, it was just because we hadn't made a decision yet. And if we were sexually open, then we had sex with multiple people, but we hadn't made a decision yet. That was called dating. Non-monogamy was, for me, was when I had a relationship with more than one person, which is more on the polyamory side, right? 
It was more of a statement that this was a permanent state of affairs, whereas dating went on until people decided to settle down. Yeah. One of the things that I see happening is people talking about being non-monogamous and they're non-monogamous, they're non-monogamous until they meet a person and suddenly they're not non-monogamous anymore because they're settling down. Okay. It's like, I'm not sure you were non-monogamous to begin with. This is interesting. Yeah, no, I would say, so for me... I always considered myself monogamous prior till about six years ago. And then when I wanted to do this big sexual exploration, one of the things I wanted was the experience of multiple partners and different partners, because I, I knew that this person would take me on a journey that this person wouldn't. And I wanted to try different things that were, I really got into BDSM and being a submissive and this guy over here that we do we have other little kinks that we do together. He's not into BDSM. And so that was my thing. You know, it's like, oh, I get, to, I want to experience all of this and I don't want to put it on the one person's shoulders because I don't think that's really going to be possible. And so I, you know, I kept, but then along the way, I've had primary partners that knew that I would see somebody else. And I've always been very open about that. But see, that's non-monogamy to me. What you've just described is non-monogamy, whereas I'm, I'm dating And then I meet the one and now I'm not seeing anybody else because I've settled with this person and not I'm just nesting for a while, but I've settled with this person or my dating was all the same. I wasn't trying this over here and that over there and this over here. You know, it was all the same because it was all about trying to find that person. So it's the attitude that goes with it. Is it trying to find, are you trying to find a person to progress up the escalator with, in which case you're probably more monogamous? Oh, are you asking me? No, no. I think in general as a tip, right? If you're trying to find a person to progress up the escalator with, then you're probably more monogamous, even if you're dating a number of people at once. If you're looking to experience different things with different people, that's more along the lines of non-monogamy. Yeah, yeah. So you also help your clients with sexual trauma. And I recently had someone on my show, we were discussing sexual trauma and and she really expanded my understanding of what it was. Because I was always kind of thinking like, it's like the worst case scenario and probably, and also sounds like what you experienced. You know, I'm thinking like, these are these really, someone rips you off the streets and kidnaps you, you know, and, and sexually assaults you or, you know, like that's what I was sort of thinking it was, how do you define sexual trauma so that people understand better what it is? Trauma is a word that has always has an individual context. What's traumatic to one person may not be traumatic to another. And I think that's really important that when we talk about treating trauma, I don't necessarily mean PTSD level trauma, like what I experienced. Some sexual trauma is things like painful sex, physically painful sex, not because somebody hurt you, but because your body wasn't ready. You didn't have knowledge or you had an anatomical difficulty. Sometimes sexual trauma can be sex that was something you chose to do consensually, but it didn't turn out right. It didn't go well. You had a bad reaction. So it's not a sexual assault or a rape. It's just a really bad sexual experience that is traumatic for you. So it really is very individually defined. I don't judge what people bring to me. It's like, oh, that's not traumatic enough, right? Yeah. Somebody could come into me and tell me that they stubbed their toe today and that was horrifically traumatic. And I will take that at face value. 
And it's this, it's really important with sexual trauma for people to understand that it is what is traumatic to you. So someone like me should be taking that as at face value. Yeah. Whatever the experience was. Bad, bad virginity loss experiences is one that people come in with quite a lot. They had a beautiful idea in their mind and how it was going to be. And it wasn't anything like they expected. And that was traumatizing. So pretty common. Yeah. What do you say to people who have struggled with this, but are reluctant to get help? If we could sort things out ourselves, they would be sorted out in a very, usually a short period of time. One good gauge of when you should get professional help is if you've been worrying at something and it's been bothering you and you've been having anxiety around it, maybe nightmares, flashbacks, intense sadness, it bothers you. It comes up all the time. It just gets triggered all the time. And you haven't been able to resolve it in a few months, maximum, you should get help. It's not going to go away. If it hasn't gone away by then, it's not going away on its own. A month to two months, four to eight weeks. Sometimes it will resol- things will resolve in four to eight weeks. You get past eight weeks and they're not going away. They're probably not going away. They get triggered and untriggered and triggered and untriggered. And then you should probably go see them. I wish people treated going for help with sex, with trauma, with relationships, with depression, with all of these things, any kind of psychological or counseling or coaching help as they do um, when they get an infection and they go to the doctor to get the infection treated. When couples come to me, it's often the case that they have been arguing about the same thing for years. And sometimes one of the, part, one of the partners will be like, oh, I don't really want, don't want to invest this money, right? We can sort it out ourselves. And I look at them and I'm like, well, if you can sort it out yourself, you would have done it already. Yeah, right. Right? And it's no shame. It's not like there's something wrong with you because you can't. We all need external help with things sometimes. With all er- in all areas of our lives, there are times where we benefit from somebody who is not emotionally embroiled in the situation. Yes. Right? And that, that could be a medical thing. That could be when you're looking at your style. That could be learning a new sport or physiotherapy when you've had an injury. I mean, there's all sorts of ways in which we benefit from other people's input in a large part because they're not embroiled in it. So they can see things we can't see and they can hold structure in a safe place. That's what therapy is about, is somebody giving you that very safe place and holding that safe place for you and helping direct you so that you can sort it out. They're not sorting it out for you. You're still the one who's sorting it out. But sometimes we actually need some guideposts. Yes. Brilliant. All right. Well, Dr. Lori, thank you so much. You also have a special gift for my listeners today. If they use the code CURIOUS, can you just tell us what that is? Right. So if you are on my website or if you are on my Instagram and you want to book some time with me, any of the book now buttons, you can put CURIOUS in. If you're booking a 30-minute session, which is usually 75 pounds, you will get that for free. If you put the code curious in, if you're booking um, the a two hour laser session, you'll get 25% off. When we do the session, I will also offer you a discount if you decide to go further based on that code. So I'll tell you where to put the code in again. You said pounds. So if you're in the U.S., it, um, it'll it, it, convert. It, it'll convert. It converts itself. Yeah. yeah. Well, thank you so much for being on today. I could just talk to you. I mean, I could just go so many different directions. I could go a zillion self-interest, selfish directions, but I want to 
time to try to cover as much ground as we could and what I thought would be beneficial for the listener and everybody that's listening. Thank you guys so much. I always appreciate you spending time with me. And if you have any questions, you know what you can do. My favorite thing, go to the website, thecuriousworlddiaries.com. Click on the pink tab on the right-hand side. You've got five minutes. Leave me a voicemail. Let it rip. Whatever you want to talk about, I get back to each and every one of you. And it's my way of getting to know all you out there in listener land. All right, that's it, everyone. Take care. Everyone stay happy, stay healthy, stay safe. Love you guys. Bye. Thanks so much for listening. And if you like what you hear, refer me to a friend. And make sure you're following me on social media. Also, go to the website, thecuriousgirldiaries.com and join my subscribers-only list for access to exclusive content. And as usual, questions or comments, you can always email me at curiousgirl at thecuriousgirldiaries.com.